Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Eric Barreto. And I'm Cameron Howard. And joining us today is Fred Geyser, who taught uh, Hebrew Scripture, Old Testament here at the seminary. Thanks for joining us, Fred. Thank you. Fred, um, we are in the middle of a series asking Luther faculty about their favorite Bible passage, and I noticed that you did not do the assignment. Yeah, well, I don't <laughs> think he, maybe he a didn't read the syllabus. A lot of my students never did either. <laughs> right. so. Well, you talk in your essay um, about the difficulty in choosing a favorite passage, or perhaps the fact that maybe we are asking the wrong question. So help us think about that a little bit. Well, part of it is just a personality thing. I don't have a favorite anything, perhaps a wife, but uh, the, uh, you know, those secret questions, what is your favorite? I never use those because the next time I look, it'll be something different. Um, And with regard to the broader issue, um, I'm not sure. I mean, it depends on how you ask the question and what it means. But uh, in terms of favorite passages like bumper stickers or samplers on the wall or whatever like that, uh, those can just seriously get stuff wrong. God so loved the world as a sampler, probably not evil. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, almost nobody wants to go to the end of that text. Right. And as, I, as I've said often, if you take isolated passages, you can prove anything right. from the Bible. Yeah, I think you're fighting a really important temptation a lot of us face. I remember growing up and having to memorize individual verses all the time yeah. as if that were some— I mean, it had its benefits, right? I mean, I learned oh, lots of different parts right. of Scripture, but it also atomized Scripture. It right. treated it as these yeah. little discrete little sayings and not this— integrated set of stories that sometimes agree, sometimes disagree, that there's tension. That that, that You can't capture that tension when you pick one verse in particular. It's it's something we have to fight against. I think about um, one passage I've seen cross-stitched a lot um, from Genesis. The Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from the other, which sounds like a very nice parting prayer. I, I want it. It, yeah, it's nice, except that it's Jacob and Laban parting ways, and that is not a friendly departure, but no. rather adversarial. I don't trust you for a minute, is exactly. what it means. Exactly. <laughs> so there is a lot of danger. Or, or that text from, is it from Ruth, right, that they use at weddings a lot, that it's not between a married couple. Like, yeah. Your people will be my people, all yeah. that. It's between... Uh, a, a woman and her mother-in-law. So if we want to do that, I mean, <laughs> turn to your mother-in-law now and say these things. Yeah. You're right, right. More appropriate to that context. <laughs> and uh, I, I use Bonhoeffer here to argue that uh, individual texts, this is Bonhoeffer, actually don't function as Bible at all. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The Bible is revelation as a whole. It's not isolated texts. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder, too, if, if isolating those texts helps us or leads us to forget that we're also people reading these texts, that it's not just the text Mm -hmm. off in this, whether it's framed or off by itself, but it's the communities that read them. It's the ways that these texts, and not just the verses, these texts uh, reach deep ground in our communities as well. So uh, you're fighting us on this, but that's all right. I think this is really important uh, for us to remember that Bible's always more complicated and bigger than any particular story or any particular verse. Indeed. Um, 
Even so, <laughs> given all of that. We're going to make you do it anyway. <laughs> that's right. There have to be particular places in Scripture that you find yourself turning uh, more than others. The pages are more well-worn on the corners yeah. of those. Well, that looks like Isaiah here is well-worn. Uh, Primar- well, I don't know whether it's primarily, di- are they well-worn because I taught Isaiah for 40 years, or, or did I teach Isaiah for 40 years because right. I liked it before <laughs> that? Yes I don't, and yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do turn often, or teach often, or preach often from Isaiah, um, and most often then from the second part, or second and third parts, the uh, latter part of the book. As I said in the essay, um, <clears throat> part of the reason is because of the emphasis on things new in, um, in the second part of the book especially. The new that Isaiah talks about is often actually quite shocking. Yeah. Remember the Exodus? That now forget it, God <laughs> says. <laughs> the Exodus? I mean, it was kind it, of a big deal. <laughs> it's basically who we are. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, so remember all that? Uh, okay, now forget it. This is God speaking. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, because I'm about to do a new thing, uh, Isaiah 43. And it's so new, you should even, it's going to even replace the Exodus. And so I imagine the people saying, wow, uh, you know, so what's it going to look like? And then God comes back and says, well, remember the Exodus? Exodus, (laughs) uh, And so the new one is sort of like the old one, but sort of not. And it's a delicious wordplay. The the old Exodus was a... A dry way through the water, and the new one is going to be a wet way through the desert uh, so you can survive to get home. And it's a rhetorically brilliant move to say, remember it, now forget it. And what is it like? Remember it. So you're still being called back to remember that sort of past testimony of what God can do and what God is like. And so it does cause the people to remember even in the forgetting just mm-hmm. by the act of yeah. sort of telling yeah. them to forget it yeah you remember god's faithfulness in the past and know that that whatever god has done in the past does not exhaust god's faithfulness it's both mm-hmm. like this emblem of everything god is capable of doing but you're also reminded god can do that much more much more in the future yeah um, and it's a really interesting tension I, sometimes i think about <clears throat> this that in antiquity uh, people liked older stuff better. It was more reliable because it's been around, right? right. So Damn. there's all these uh, historians, right? Basically, these writing contests about who was around, old, who's been around longer. That's you get to win. And I like now, that. And now we, well, <laughs> <laughs> and now we live in a world where newer is better, right? right. The, that smaller, faster, newer phone Damn. is what we want. And I, th- I wonder if this tension then is one that both the ancient world needed and now our contemporary world needs too. It's a reminder that it's not just about what's new, it's not just about what's old, but about both in this way that collapses that difference in really interesting ways. Actually, right. I Actually, I've just been reading a, a, a book about Native Americans. And who do you trust? Well, the elders right. is who you trust. That's where the wisdom is, yeah. uh, not in the kid, young kids. Yeah. Uh, so. Although every once in a while, young kids say smart stuff, sometimes. 
every once in a while, the young kids say something smart every once in a while. They do, or <laughs> smart in a different sense. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Smart off. Right. <laughs> Are there other parts of Isaiah that call out to you or or other books that, you know, for as Scripture says, for everything there is a season. There's a text for every season. I think of Isaiah 55 and yeah. God's word going out, seed yeah. to the sower, bread to the eater. Well, the, yeah, there, well, there's all kinds of stuff here that's absolutely delightful. One would be 51, where everybody wonders who the servant of God is in Isaiah, the suffering servant, although it's not suffering in the first parts. But who's the servant of God? And you read 42 and I do this, and I do this, and I do this, the servant. And then you read 51, a teaching will go out from me, my justice from, for, a, for a light to the world, bring my salvation near. That's God. God is saying exactly what the servant was saying or what was being said about the servant in 42. And so... I don't want to put that too close together, who is the servant, God. But on the other hand, the connection is really strong. Uh, I am your servant. It's just one of the places that is very interesting to me. It's a circumventing of power as we normally understand it. It's God as servant, as uh, one who walks alongside us. And I like the... Uh, visions of the new heavens and the new earth right. at the end of Isaiah. I think of Isaiah 65. There's this um, beautiful line that comes to mind whenever, really whenever I watch the news, um, that says, uh, women will no longer bear children for calamity, is how the NRSV translates it. And just that that idea of sort of the human condition and the rampant sin and um, terrible things that happen in our world, this vision that Isaiah uh, has of the day when women will no longer bear children for calamity, whatever that calamity might be. Probably a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) Which reminds us then, I think, of the aliveness of this text, that these really ancient texts are still speaking really powerfully to us. It's in some ways, the like like God was saying to, to Israel, the hopes are both old and new. Mm-hmm. They've unlike anything that we've experienced before, but in some ways, just like everything we've we've experienced before. And throughout that, God has been faithful. Yeah, and I quoted von Rad in the essay that uh, the more you work on a text, or especially a difficult text. It, be, it, it begins to speak. Now, oh, th- nice. there are problems with that now in, con- in contemporary hermeneutics, but uh, I think we know what he's talking about. All of a sudden, wow, I never saw that in the t- this text before. And then, well, if, then if you're a preacher, then you got something to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another example is in 41, I think, if I remember correctly. God says to Israel, I am your helper. Actually, it also says I'm your lover. Uh, I'm your friend, lover in Hebrew. Then it also says I am your helper, which is, of course, is exactly the same word from Genesis <coughs> where the, it's not good that the human should be alone. I will create a helper. Sometimes that has been read as though the woman 
is just, you know, the A servant. servant. Yeah. Uh, stay in the kitchen. God is our helper. Uh-huh. It's not good that we be alone, so God is our helper. Uh, that's hardly a subservient role. Uh, so there are all kinds of those surprises in sec- in Isaiah that just sort of blow you away. Yeah. I think what it, what's re- particularly helpful about this essay for me, it's a reminder that any of these particular favorite passages that we talked about, what makes them, I think, so powerful is that they're always taking us somewhere else in the scriptures right. and, and seeing yeah. things in a new light. Exactly. So. And. As I said again in the essay, I think until the preacher gets to that point, you better not say anything in the <laughs> pulpit until you've seen something yeah. new. That seems about right. Yeah. Thanks, Fred, for this great essay and for uh, helping us think differently about this whole issue. All right. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find more information at enterthebible.org. Join us again.